Good evening, this is Pamela, and you're listening to Watchmen on the Pod. We're going to continue with our book reading of Billy Graham and His Friends by Dr. Kathy Burns. This is going to be part two of chapter one. Before I begin, um, the next person that they that she is going to tell us about is someone that I had heard his name a few years back, and I couldn't remember where. And then it come to me just to do a little search on Donald Trump and who he said his his pastor was. And that was Vincent... Peel was his name, and Donald Trump gives him kudos for, well, basically his mind frame. Uh, you know, the, I found an article which was really funny, and it says how Norman Vincent Peel taught Donald Trump to worship himself. This man, as we will read, was quite an apostate. He was definitely a false teacher and he preached heresy absolute heresy and this is the next person that we are going to read about in this book of one of billy graham's friends his name is norman vincent peel as mentioned earlier norman vincent peel wrote the foreword to one of templeton's books here is another man that needs to be discussed not only because of his connection to templeton but because of his close friendship with billy graham graham and peel had a friendship of about 35 to 40 years in 1957 at the madison square garden crusade graham had peel on the platform with him in fact graham said that peel was very supportive of his meetings but there's probably a reason why almost 400 decision cards were turned over to peel for follow-up and nearly 100 of these people later joined his church no other church had received as many cards as peel did in fact peel's church is Peel's church received more cards, 373, than all of the 14 conservative Baptist churches combined, 311. According to a prophet with honor, we find that there were five, no, 55,000 recorded decisions for Christ during this crusade, with 1,700 churches participating. It's an average of 32 cards per church. Peel got more than 11 times that amount. Interesting. In 1960, Graham invited Peel to address a group of evangelical leaders in Switzerland. Peel, of course, was a New Ager, Shriner, a 33rd degree Mason, and Knights Templar. He had always been a Mason for over 30 years and had also been the Grand Chaplain of the Grand Lodge of New York for several years before he sat on the platform with Graham. Peel boasts, my grandfather was a Mason for 50 years, my father for 50 years, and I have been a Mason for 60 years. This means that my tie with Freemasonry extends back to 1869 when my grandfather joined the Masons. I am proud of my involvement. To me, Freemasonry is one form of dedication to God and service to humanity. I am proud to walk in fraternal fellowship with my brethren, says Peel. Quote, in 1973, Dr. Peel was awarded by the Gorgas Medal, a Masonic Award, the highest award bestowed by the Northern Jurisdiction, and in 1987 received the Grand Cross from the Southern Jurisdiction. Unquote. 
One article appearing in the Masonic magazine, the Scottish Rite Journal, in September 1995, was written by Ruth Stafford Peel, Norman's wife. She wrote, Being a Freemason was an important part of the life of Norman Vincent Peel, and the Scottish Rite meant a great deal to him. He passed away on December 4, 1993. But I am keeping his message flowing out through both Peel Center and Guidepost magazine. For more information on masonry, their beliefs, and symbolism, please see the following books. Hidden Secrets of Masonry, Hidden Secrets of the Eastern Star, Mormonism, Masonry, and Godhood, and Masonic and Occult Symbols Illustrated. Peel's Response to Occultic Letters not only was Peel a Mason, but he had endorsed the ungodly channeled messages called the Jesus Letters written by Jane Pelzer and Anna Brown. In an article titled Psychic Records Letters from Psych Psychic Records Letters from Jesus, we are told quote, Part time Newton Newington secretary Jane Pilar's said each of the messages in the book entitled The Jesus Letters was written by her hand through the psychic phenomenon known as inspirational writing or automatic writing. The amazing holy letters were written one each day over a two-year period that began on a morning in 1978. She said the letters were di dictated by a non-living spirit who identified himself through her pen as... Jesus Christ. The first of the divine letters was written after an eerie experience that unfolded as she sat at her desk writing. I was holding a pen and the pen was knocked from my hand. She explained, my hand went numb. At first I thought I was having a stroke. She said she picked up the pen, but it was again knocked from her hand. It happened two or three times before a sentence appeared on the paper. It read, You are going to be the channel for the writing of a book. Then the pen put down the words, Love Jesus. Next message was that there is a comma after the word love. At that point, I realized that Jesus was a signature. For the next two years, Mrs. Blair's was totally wrapped in a labor of love and trust. Each day, the spirit communicating with her dictated a new and revealing message. The result was the Jesus Letters, now available through direct mail. One message instructed her to collaborate with another person on publication of the letters. She quickly enlisted the help of Anna Brown, a woman she had met while taking a course in ESP. But Jesus of the Jesus Letters claims that heaven is for all and that every person, including the heathen, has Christ within. The authors, one of whom is a theophysist, insist that there are many Christs. Of course, the book also endorses spirit meetings and channelers. What was Peel's response to this occult book? He wrote, quote, What a wonderful gift to all of us from you in your book the Jesus Letters. You will bless many by this truly inspired book. Unquote. He adds, quote, It's a little matter if these writings come from Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus of Jane, Palazar. They are all the same consciousness 
and that consciousness is God. I am a part of God, and Jane and Anna are part of the same God. Unquote. Another book is called Explore Your Psychic World. A New Age brochure describes this book as, quote, one of the most thorough overviews of the psychic aspects of life in print today. It examines auras, astral travel, communication with discarnates, clairvoyance, possession, psychic attack, and dreams. When first published, it was hailed by Norman Vincent Peale as a great piece of work, unquote. In Psychic Magazine, Peel, speaking of the occultist Krinskin, stated, all he's doing is dramatizing what I've been preaching in my writing for years. I guess Peel had a penchant, a penchant? I don't know how that is worded, penchant for endorsing occultic books dealing with spirit communication. Another book, The Dead Are Alive, They Can and Do Communicate With You, was also promoted by Peel. He gushed a masterpiece. I hope it will be widely read. The book's author is Harold Sherman, a psychic and a spirit medium, who also wrote a companion book, You Live After Death. The Bible clearly warns us in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 through 12, there shall not be found among you any one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, psychic, handler, or medium, or a wizard, or a necromancer, one who speaks with the dead. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord." Dr. Bernie Siegel also has a spirit guide that supposedly communicates with him. In one of his books, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, he tells how George, his spirit guide, appeared to him. This book also promotes and deals extensively with visualization, hypnosis, and meditation. One researcher reminds us that the development of the imagination through visualization visualization exercises is one of the most ancient and widely used occult techniques for expanding the mind and opening up the psyche to new and forbidden areas of consciousness. For more information on visualization, see my article, What is Visualization? For more information on hypnosis, see my booklet, Hypnosis, Cure or Curse. Siegel writes, beliefs that lean heavily on guilt, original sin, and predestination are of little use for healing. This obviously means that Christianity is of little use for healing, unquote. Siegel also states, quote, I think of God as the same potential healing force as an intelligent, loving energy or light in each person's life, unquote. Would you believe that this book was also endorsed by Norman Vincent Peale? Christ is one of many ways. Peale himself writes, Who is God? Who is vital God is vitality. God is life. God is energy. As you breathe God in, as you visualize his energy, you will be re-energized. You will live longer. You will live better. You will have greater health. You will have dynamic energy. Since Peel's God is equated with energy, it's no wonder that he denied the virgin birth, deity, resurrection, and vicarious satisfaction of Jesus Christ. 
Is that vicarious? V I C A R I O U S? I think so. Okay. He did not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Yet another book endorsed by Peel is Healing Energies of Music. Peel says, I am sure your book will indeed be a blessing to all who read it. This book is sold through Quest Books, which is the Theosophical Publishing House. Theophysy is, according to the Masonic Quiz Book, a mystic cult. It is also a religious system that stresses occult practices and theories such as clairvoyance, telepathy, evolution, karma, reincarnation, mysticism, and spiritualism. It is also claimed to be a technique for achieving salvation and used for the invocation of the angels. The Theosophical Society was founded on October 20th, 1875 by the medium, mystic, occultic, occultist and Satanist, Madame Helena Pervana Bolotsky. According to the Theological Glossary by H.P. Bolotsky, its avowed object was at first the specific investigation of psychic or so-called spiritualistic phenomena. The Theological Society's publication was called Lucifer. They sell books by such New Age and occult authors as Annie Sant, Helena Bolotsky, Don G. Campbell, Dalai Lama, Evelyn Eaton, Serge King, Jack Cornfield, Dolores Kruger, or Krieger, D. Scott Rogo, Dane Rudahar, J. Kirshnamurti, Ken Wilbur and Hudson Smith, yet Peel endorses a book sold through this organization. On 1984 Phil Donahue program, Peel said, It's not necessary to be born again. You have your way to God, I have mine. I found eternal peace in Shinto Shrine. Christ is one of the ways. God is everywhere. Shintoism is a religion of Japan, which believes in many gods and goddesses, as well as mysticism. It is a religion of ancestor worship. Stones and rocks are also objects of veneration in Shinto. Of course, I guess a statement like this wouldn't really bother Billy Graham. See, in 1956, which was a year prior to the New York Madison campaign, Graham went to Japan and he and demanded that both conservatives and modernistic pro-Shinto believers unite for the purpose of evangelism. Kagawa, a noted Japanese liberal and opponent of Bible, of Bible truth, appeared on the platform with Graham. Toyohioko Kawaga, by the way, was also a socialist and pacifist. Returning to Peel, we find that he has the main he was the main speaker at a Mormon president's birthday festivity in nineteen eighty and praised Mormon leaders. He called Mormon President Spencer W. Kimball a great man of God and a true prophet of Jesus Christ. For information on Mormonism, please see my book Mormonism, Masonry and Godhood. Even though Peel denied Christ's virgin birth, deity, and resurrection, Graham said on December 6, 1966, 
at a National Council of Churches luncheon. I don't know anyone who has done more for the kingdom of God than Norman and Ruth Peel, or have meant any more in my life the encouragement they have given me." Unquote. Over 30 years later, after Peel had died, Graham was still praising him. In his 1997 autobiography, he noted, quote, Dr. Peel was warmly supportive of the meetings at Madison Square Garden in 1957. Although our emphasis in preaching differed, I found him a deeply committed believer with a genuine concern that men and women give their lives to Christ, unquote. Oh, by the way, Graham received $75,000 from John D. Rockefeller Jr. for this 1957 crusade. Others who gave large sums of money and or support for this crusade were the Vanderbilts, Whitney's, Goulds, Dodges, and Phelps's. I might also add that by this time, 1957, quote, Staff of Billy Graham Association in Minneapolis headquarters had grown to 125 persons and the rented space could not handle any more expansion. It was then that Graham was offered the purchase of Standard Oil Company's office building in Minneapolis, a Rockefeller business. Unquote. Also, Billy Graham's Christianity Today magazine has been able to get millions of dollars from foundations. Unquote. Very interesting. It is true that Peel claims to have accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, at least according to the June 21, 1993 issue of Christianity Today, which was founded by Billy Graham. But Peel quickly adds, I am absolutely and thoroughly convinced that it is my mission never to use this language in trying to communicate with audience that God has given me. Unquote. We must remember, however, that Peel has redefined these words to fit his own occultic New Age ideas. For instance, Peel said in an interview with Modern Maturity that Christ was the nearest thing to God. The Bible, on the other hand, teaches that Christ is God. Peel teaches that Christ is one of the ways, but Christ said that he was the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me unto the Father, but by me. John chapter 14, verse 6. Peel said, It is not necessary to be born again. Jesus declared, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He must be born again. John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 7. Peel denies Christ's virgin birth. Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says that a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Peter did not, not Peter, Peel denies Christ's resurrection, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 14 reveals, and if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is vain and your faith is also vain. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 17 reiterates, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Therefore, if Peel denies Christ's resurrection, he is not saved and still in his sins, according to the Bible. Belief in the virgin birth of Christ and his resurrection are vital ingredients to our salvation. If Christ was just another human being, regardless of how perfect he may have been, his sacrifice on the cross would have not been sufficient, would have been insufficient for salvation. 
Also, if Christ did not resurrect from the dead, our faith is vain, as Paul reminds us. Modernist Dictionary. David Cloud comments, quote, The problem was that Peel's Jesus was not the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of his own creation. Peel's Jesus was a Jesus that did not condemn sin, a Jesus that was not born of a virgin, a Jesus that was not the eternal God, a Jesus that did not die and shed his blood for man's sin. Peel used a fundamentalist vocabulary, but he used a modernist dictionary. This is why so many were deceived by the man. Peel's God, little g, was not God, g, the Bible, but the God, little g, of self. His faith was not faith in Jesus Christ of the Bible, but faith in faith. His gospel was not the gospel of repentance from sin and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, but a gospel of self-esteem, self-help, and self-recovery. I ask, how can someone who endorses channeled and occultic materials, denies Christ's virgin birth, deity, and resurrection, who says that he found eternal peace in Shinto shrine and that Christ is one of the ways, be considered a deeply committed believer. There is not only a problem with Norman Vincent Peale, but also with Billy Graham. Remember, Peale is the man who received almost 400 decision cards from the Billy Graham crusade. Both Graham and Peel seem to have a mutual benefit from their friendship. Graham sends converts to Peel's church, then Peel endorsed a biography for Graham. However, the Bible warns in James chapter 4, verse 4, Know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. How could anyone who was truly concerned about souls being saved even think of sending a person to such a church as Peel's? Of course, Peel is just one of many liberals who has been bragged up and promoted by Graham. Who gets the decision cards? As far as back as 1955, Dr. James E. Bennett and Reverend Jack Wurtzen met with Billy Graham. Graham told them, that if some minister, who was a modernist, sent 50 of his people to Graham's meetings and they were saved, he, Billy, would not tell them not to return to that modernistic church because it would be unfair to the pastor. The Bible says that we are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 11. We are not to invite them on our platforms and praise them as deeply committed believers when they don't even believe, much less obey Bible. A letter from the Billy Graham Evangelical where am I at? Uh, Evangelic no, I can't say that word. Evangelistic Association, written by W. H. Martindale, dated February 29th, nineteen sixty eight, stated quote Mr. Graham, under no conditions, suggests affiliating with those who are, in their doctrines, contrary to the scriptures, unquote. Yet, 11 years prior to this letter, Graham had 
had Norman Vincent Peale on his platform. Peale had written 46 books, the first one published in 1937. His book, The Power of Positive Thinking, had already been in print for several years, so his viewpoint was well known. It should also be mentioned that the committee for the 1957 New York Crusade was made up of about of 120 modernists and unbelievers compared to about 20 fundamentalists. The executive committee was comprised of about 15 modernists and only five fundamentalists. Many of those on the committee denied the virgin birth, bodily resurrection of Christ, a literal heaven and a literal hell, the inspiration of scripture, etc. The sad part is that those who went forward at this meeting were turned over to their modernist churches. After all, Graham usually only gives decision cards to those who participate in his meetings. One exception was in the 1970s when Graham turned over decision cards to a Catholic diocese who had no official involvement in the crusade. Therefore, all the fundamentalists who do not participate do not get any of the names. In other words, Graham's crusades only end up helping the liberal and unscriptural churches to prosper and grow. Can this be pleasing to God? Graham Keith, chairman of the Carolinas Billy Graham Crusade Committee, is quoted in the Charlotte Observer, March 1, 1996, as saying, quote, we have Jewish, Catholic, Protestant, and other denominations represented on the committee. Our goal is to make it the finest crusade Dr. Graham has ever conducted. Graham has even gone further afield on occasion. At his 1966 World Congress on Evangelism in Berlin, Ethiopian Emperor Hale Selassie, is, who is head of the Coptic Orthodox Church was featured. The Coptic Church is a blend of Christianity, Judaism, animism, and paganism. Unquote. I have a copy of a letter that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association sent to an inquirer in 1968. Reverend W. H. Martindale, writing for Billy Graham, stated, quote, there are many aspects of the Christian life that Mr. Graham does not touch upon because he does not believe that they are the duty and responsibility of the evangelist. Mr. Graham believes that we are saved through the blood of Christ. However, this aspect of Christian doctrine he does not emphasize in his messages. This is the duty and prerogative of the pastors. Every effort is made to see the inquirer's are oriented in a Bible-preaching church." Unquote. Wow. Last sentence simply is not true. Inquirers are not sent Bible-believing churches in most cases. Quote, cases are not documented to show that some ministers have actually gone forward. No, are documented. I said not, didn't I? 
quote, cases are documented to show that some ministers have actually gone forward at the invitation and then into the counselor's room and their cards have been sent to liberal churches in their community, which they, the ministers, have opposed from their own pulpits. For example, in Graham's 1952 Pittsburgh Crusade, the Pittsburgh Sun-Telegraph reported that Graham said, quote, Many of the people who reach a decision for Christ at our meetings have joined the Catholic Church, and we have received commendations from Catholic publications for the revived interest in their church following our campaigns. This happened both in Boston and Washington. After all, one of our prime purposes is to help the churches in a community. If after we move on, the local churches do not feel the efforts of these meetings and increased membership and attendance, then our crusade would have to be considered a failure. Unquote. Did you notice that Graham was only interested in a church's increased membership? Nothing was said about a person receiving Christ as his or her personal Lord and Savior. This is what is important, not church membership. Church membership could increase a thousandfold, but if people are not being saved, then all is in vain. Graham also gave a boost to the Catholic Church in 1952 when he added that he hoped to hear Bishop Fulton J. Sheen at one of the Masses at St. Paul Cathedral tomorrow. Quote, in 1968, Graham was in a meeting in San Antonio, Texas. He said that the Roman Church had given tremendous cooperation in areas where he had held crusades. He added, A great part of our support today comes from the Catholics. We never hold a crusade without priests and nuns being much in evidence in the audience. Unquote. 1973, nuns were singing in the choir at Graham's Crusades. Continuing on with Graham's ecumenical outlook, June 10, 1966 issue of Time said that volunteers will tactfully receive those stepping forward to make a decision for Christ and steer them to the nearest church of their chosen denomination. Unquote. In Poland in 1978, Graham taught nuns and priests how to evangelize. A picture taken at the famous Polish shrine of the Black Madonna shows Graham welcoming pilgrims to the worship of their virgin. No assurance of salvation. In 1983, the Florida Catholic reported that 600 people were turned over to the Catholic Church from the Orlando Crusade. Quote, on the evening of June 9, 1982, the names of 2,100 inquirers were given to priests at Pope John XXIII Seminary in Weston, Massachusetts. Unquote. During the June 1992 crusade in Philadelphia, quote, approximately 1,200 Catholics in the Archdiocese and about 700 Catholics from elsewhere took steps in response to Dr. Graham's altar calls. The individuals were referred to about 250 parishes and said Sister so jo Josephine Cass, IHM, Assistant Director of the Archdiocese Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs. Unquote. 1987 at the Denver Crusade, 
500 individuals were referred to the St. Thomas More Roman Catholic Church from just one service. One Catholic who went forward at this meeting didn't know how to express his feelings, but the Catholic Council, Donald Willett, was there to help out. He said, Catholics have trouble with this expression, born again. I try to help people understand that experience means in light of the teaching of the Catholic Church. So, even if Graham were definitely preaching the true gospel of Christ by allowing his sermon to be reinterpreted by the counselors, would negate all the good that would have been done. The reinterpretation is done in light of the Catholic Church's teachings, not in accordance with the scriptures. Quote, a Catholic nun, Marcina Scott, director of the Catholic Biblical School in Denver, says she trained about 80 counselors and Bible teachers to assist Billy Graham's Rocky Mountain Crusade last July 1987, unquote. Quote, by September 1992, the Catholic Diocese of Portland, Oregon, had set a goal to supply 6,000 of the 10,000 counselors needed for the Graham Crusade. All Catholics responding to the altar call were channeled to Catholic churches, unquote. Surprisingly, around 1993, a retired missionary wrote to Graham's organization asking if he was sending new converts back to the Catholic Church. T.W. Wilson, who died on May 25, 2001, a member of the Graham team, responded, I do not know where you got your information, but I'm sure you have been misinformed. Isn't it amazing how they are still trying to conceal this plain fact? At the 1996 Charlotte Crusade held by evangelist Billy Graham, the decision cards of 1,700 Catholic responders to his invitation to commit their lives to Christ were given to the local Catholic diocese for follow-up. The Catholic priests do not believe in salvation by faith. They teach that salvation is obtained through infant baptism. Catholic teaching states that anyone who claims to have the assurance of salvation through God's power or mercy has committed the sin of presumption. According to the Catholic paper, Our Sunday Visitor, we are told that presumption is a sin against hope. It is a rash confidence of attaining eternal salvation. A person who says that he or she is assured of salvation is, presum is presuming. This is in direct contradiction to God's word. These things have I written unto you that you believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 says, But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Converts are also turned over to the Jewish synagogues. The rabbis do not believe in Jesus. Other inquirers are sent back to the liberal Protestant ministers like New Ager, Mason, Norman Vincent Peale, who deny the atonement of Jesus Christ and the literal meaning of the scriptures. Since the Bible clearly teaches that we are only saved through the blood of Christ and his atonement, and Graham does not emphasize this doctrine, how many of these inquirers were actually being saved? Notice that Martindale also says that this doctrine, as well as others, is the prerogative of the pastors, yet these individuals are not being sent back to churches in most cases, where the pastor, priest, or rabbi will teach this doctrine. This is spiritual suicide for these people.
we become Christ? Sound blasphemous to me. Graham is quoting as, say, is quoting as saying, I stand at the door of the kingdom of heaven and say, come in. And when they come in, they go by way of their particular church. Unquote. Quote, June 19th. 1969, issue of the New York Times contained a half-page article on Graham following up techniques. After inquirers are dealt with by counselors and cards on each are filled out, a co-labor corpse sits at the long tables until midnight each night, counting and sorting the cards and licking envelopes that will go out in the morning mail to minister of about a thousand churches. The corpse sits through maps and phone books, finding the church nearest the addresses on the cards, regardless of whether or not they are liberal, conservative, Protestant, Catholic, or Jewish. Unquote. When the new convert goes to a liberal church, whether it be Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, he will not hear the word of God preached. In fact, he will often hear the Bible denounced as fairy tales or myths. For example, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we find, quote, the account of the fall in Genesis 3 uses figurative language, but affirms a primeval, prime, primeval event, a deed that took place at the beginning of the history of man. The parable of the poor man, Lazarus, and the words of Christ on the cross to the good thief, as well as other New Testament texts, speak of a final destiny of the soul, a destiny which can be different for some and for others. Unquote. The Catechism also teaches that we are gods. It states, for the Son of God became man so that we might become God. Unquote. The only begotten Son of God, wanting to make us sharers in his divinity, assumed our nature so that he, made man, might make men gods. Unquote. Quote, marvel and rejoice, we have become Christ, unquote. Quote, through the anointing of his spirit who flows from the head to the members, he makes us other Christ, unquote. Quote, so then you have become sharers in Christ, are appropriately called Christ, unquote. Yet, in 1963, Billy Graham said that he had a Roman Catholic bishop stand beside him and blessed the converts as they came forward in Sao Paulo, Brazil. In 1979, almost 3,500 decision cards were turned over to the Catholic Church. In another instant, quote, Graham Organization and his cooperating churches in the San Francisco Crusade appointed Dr. Farah to follow up the converts and report on the same. He reported that of over 1,300 Catholics who came forward, practically all remained Catholic, continued to pray to Mary, went to Mass, and confessed to the priest, unquote. In fact, the counselors are specifically warned, quote, there is to be no proselytizing, unquote. At the Quebec Crusade in 1990, it was made clear to all staff and volunteers that there is to be no proselytizing, and counseling offered to those who come forward in a response to Graham's invitation will not include any criticism of the church a person may be attending, unquote. What if the person is a Mormon, or a New Ager, or a witch, or a Satanist? This may sound far-fetched, but it isn't. Are they to return to their church or coven? After all, there will be no criticism of the church a person may be attending.
quote, a disturbed Roman Catholic wrote Graham about some of the changes going on in the Catholic Church. In his answer, Graham wrote, above all, don't put out of the church, stay in it. Stay close to the Lord and use these experiences as an opportunity to help your church see what God intends and what the world needs. This was published in his newspaper column, My Answer. Incidentally, it was through Billy Graham's in intervention that former President Reagan set up an ambassador to the Vatican. He has been the linking agent from the White House to Rome. Graham wrote, quote, Reagan was the first American president to appoint a full ambassador to the Vatican. Before he made that appointment, he asked my view. I told him I thought it would probably be a good thing, in spite of a number of potential problems concerning the separation of church and state, and wrote an extended confidential letter outlining my reasons. Among other things, I told him I did not think it necessarily violated the separation of church and state. For whatever reasons, Mr. Reagan went ahead with the plan. Later, my letter was leaked to the press. It caused some consternation among my Baptist friends. Unquote. There was a number of churches in which a new convert may be told there is no heaven to gain and no hell to shun. The new convert may be led into occultic practices such as those promoted by Norman Vincent Peale. He could hear a speaker such as Faye Waddleton, who was a past president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America when she spoke at Peale's church several years ago. Although Peale was no longer head of the Marble College Gate Church at that time, or the new convert could join gays, lesbians, and fellowship at the Marble Collegate Church. If the new convert was a Jewish person, he or she would be told to return to the synagogue. However, a new convert who returns to the Jewish synagogue will most likely be told that Jesus is not the Messiah. The Jewish Talmud teaches, quote, that Mary, the mother of Christ, was a whore and an adulteress who bore Jesus by a Roman soldier named Pandera. According to the uncensored text of the Talmud, we find that Jesus' mother, called Miriam, had sex with many men. The Talmud also teaches that Jesus is now burning in hot excrement in hell. Unquote. Matthew chapter 23 verse 15 states, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. The Bible also clearly tells us, Whosoever denieth the Son, Jesus, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. The wolf scatters. Liz could go on and on. Yet these liberal churches are the main churches that benefit from Graham's crusades. In Graham's own autobiography, he tells how Willis Haymaker joined the Graham team in 1950. Haymaker would also call on the local Catholic bishop or other clerics to acquaint them with the crusade plans and invite them to the meetings. They would usually appoint a priest to attend and report back. This was years 
This was years before the Vatican's openness, the Vatican II's openness to Protestants. But we are concerned to let the Catholic bishops see that my goal was not to get people to leave their church, unquote. Billy bragged how Haymaker was the one, quote, who urged us to drop the word campaign in favor of crusade. The word campaign, Willis points out, had been used for many years by evangelists and was associated in the public mind with outmoded or even sensationalist ways of doing things. A new word was needed, he felt, and we agreed on crusade, unquote. John um, Christian comments, quote, Billy forgot to mention the reason why genuine Christian evangelists previously had shunned using the word crusade in their ministry was that the term previously applied to eight military expeditions organized from the 11th century to the 13th under the banner of the pagan cross of Roman Catholicism for the recovery of the Holy Land from the hands of the Saccharines, unquote. In 1955 and 57, Graham handed the Catholic gospel as a stench in the nostrils of God. Branded, I'm sorry, I'm going to stop that. In 1957, Graham branded the Catholic gospel as a stench in the nostrils of God. Yet, Graham was quoted by several newspapers as having explicitly said, as early as 1956, that we'll send them to their own churches. Roman Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. The rest will be up to God. Unquote. If Graham truly felt that the Roman Catholic Church was a stench in the nostrils of God, why would he send people back to this church? This would be equivalent to me giving someone arsenic and then saying that it's up to God to let him live. Certainly, God can work in spite of circumstances, but we are also accountable for what we do. God never wants the lambs to be sent to the wolves. The Bible tells the shepherd to care for the flock, not to leave them defenseless among vicious attacks. Paul warned that wolves would enter in, and the church was to be on guard and try to resist this onslaught. They were not to send the new converts to the wolves, but protect them from the wolves. Quote, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn every one night and day with tears. That's in the book of Acts chapter 20 verses 28 through 31. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. He that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not. See if the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. John chapter 10 verses 11 and 12. When Paul preached in Ephesus and throughout Asia, he never sent his converts back to pagan temples. He told them to turn away from such vain practices as idolatry. He didn't say, I'll send you the converts back to their pagan worship.
The rest is up to God. No, Paul told them to worship God and him alone and to leave their pagan rituals behind them and not to return to them. One minister was talking to my mother about the ecumenical movement, trying to justify it. He said that if her home were on fire and a Satanist rescued her child, wouldn't she care that the rescuer could be a Satanist? That is true to a point. I wouldn't care if a Satanist rescued my child, but I certainly would not be greatly concerned and worried if that Satanist took my child. But I would be greatly concerned and worried if that Satanist took my child and raised him to be a Satanist. There's a big difference between being rescued by a Satanist and being trained and indoctrinated by him. Some individuals were saved through unbelievers or backsliders. Some have been convicted of sin while in a bar. But once the person is saved, then he or she needs to get into a Bible-believing church. It is almost impossible for a convert to grow in grace without proper spiritual teaching. An individual may be say, truly saved by a Billy Graham crusade. If that individual sent to an ungodly church, and many are, it won't take long for the person to wither and die spiritually or for his or her spiritual growth to be greatly hindered. Henry Luce, another one of Graham's friends, is Henry Luce. One day in 1950, while Graham was staying at the governor's mansion in South Carolina with Governor Strom Thurman, a 33rd degree Mason, he received a call saying that Henry Luce wanted to come and spend a few days with him. According to Billy, he said that it appears as though Bernard Barak was reading his sermons out of a newspaper which carried them, after which he contacted Henry Luce. Luce had already been carrying articles about Graham in his magazine's Time in Life. After he heard Graham, he was even more supportive of Graham's ministry and did a feature article for Life. Graham said that an enduring friendship was born after meeting Luce. Luce and Graham were playing golf together at the Biltmore Country Club in Phoenix as far back as 1953. It was here that Mrs. Davis introduced Graham to her son-in-law, Ronald Reagan, who was Henry Luce, the man who gave magazine space to promote Graham. Who was Henry Luce, the man who gave magazine space to promote Graham? Luce's magazine included People, Life, Fortune, Money, and Sports Illustrated. His board of directors included several members of the Council on Foreign Affairs, CFR. Quote, as far back as 1943, Henry Luce had suggested to his editors that the main function of any future world organization, do you suppose he knew that the United States nations would be formed just years later, should be to search out to extemporize, to test, to articulate the common law of mankind. He approved of a world order which could be found in the concept of natural law, that is, man-made law outside of the laws of God, unquote. Luce spoke for the Connecticut Bar Association in 1956, where he said, quote, If rulers feel they must appear lawful, then to be extent, they must be lawful. The challenge to be lawful is the most effective challenge at the bar, of world opinion. Then he emphasized the need for repeal of the Connolly 
amendment which limited participation in the world court. He pursued the destruction of American sovereignty with words, world law can grow only through the accretion of precedent and example. To the extent that we set the example, we shall have added to the precedents which help extend world order under the rule of law. Quote. Fortune, in the Journal of the American Bar Association, repented, not repented, reprinted Luce's speech, which helped found the world peace through law movement. Then in, and then in September 1965, the World Peace Through Law Conference was held, and Luce, quote, prophesied that world government, the new world order, might become fact. The world we are determined to have is a world characterized by the rule of law, which binds the pride of nations to the common good and which protects the individual from the arrogance of governments. That is, the arrogance of a sovereign nation with a sovereign constitution like that of the United States of America, unquote. The same year in which he spoke to the Connecticut Bar Association, 1956, Luce put John D. Rockefeller on the cover of Time and called the feature story The Good Man. He called Rockefeller an authentic American hero. Quote, Time first covered the abortion issue in 1965 with an openly sympathetic article in the medicine section. By 1967, it had burst out of the closet and declared itself unequivocally in favor of the repeal of, restic of restrictive abortion laws. From that day forward, Time has remained resolutely in the Planned Parenthood vanguard with the rest of the mega press." Unquote. Henry Luce was a graduate of Yale and belonged to Skull and Crossbones, class of 1920, the Council on Foreign Relations, and the Knights of Malta. He was one of the founders of the Aspen Institute for Humanistic Studies, which is now called the Aspen Institute. Obviously, the Aspen Institute is a humanistic think tank as well as a New Age world government organization. They have, quote, solid ties to the CFR, TLC, the Trilateral Commission, and the United Nations through its membership. This group's financial supporters include Rockefellers, the Carnegie Corporation, the Ford Foundation, and others. Its trustees include Robert McNamara and Henry Kissinger. In an interview, Joseph Slater, then president of Aspen Institute, Proposed that there be a council of wise persons that can figure out how to restructure national government and achieve economic and social values, unquote. Luce also belonged to the World Brotherhood, which changed its name to the Conference on World Tensions in 1961. Quote, according to an official publication, World Brotherhood was founded in 1950 at a conference at UNESCO House in Paris and evolved from the educational programs of the National Conference of Christians and Jews, which has been serving the cause of brotherhood in the United States and Canada since 1928. Its supporters and members included President Eisenhower. John Foster Dulles, Alan W. Dulles, ex-Central Intelligence Agency Chief, 
Henry R. Luce, owner of Time and Life, Herbert H. Lehman, Paul G. Hoffman, George Nimini, Norman Thomas, Mrs. Eleanor Roosevelt, John F. Kennedy, John J. McCloy, Elderly Stevenson, Chief Justice Warner, Ex-Prime Minister John Diefenbaker of Canada, and Canada's liquor multimillionaire Samuel Bronhevman, Conrad Dinar, German Ex-Chancellor, Paul Henry Speck, Ex-NATO Secretary General, Trigiv Lai, Ex-UN Secretary General, Paul Reynaud, French Ex-Prime Minister, Marcus Wallenberg, Swedish bank president, whose family at one time controlled the Nobel Prize awards. Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, ex-head of the Bilderberg Group. Madden Panit and Dr. S.S. Radhakaskarishan of India. The Shah of Iran. Carlos P. Romulo of the Philippines. Sir Zafar. Rula Khan of the International Court of Justice and former president of the UN General Account Assembly. Movie mogul Spiros Skouras of the USA. The late Prime Minister of Canada, Lester P. Peterson. External Affairs Minister of Canada, Paul Martin. Lady Barbara Ward Jackson of Britain. Nobel Prize winner, Lord Lloyd Orr, etc., etc. One person whom Luce held in high regard was John Foster Dulles. The Federal Council of Churches Dulles assured Luce supported world government as an ultimate ideal. No wonder both Luce and Dulles could belong to the World Brotherhood. Socialize. Luce was often considered to be an anti-communist that he was tolerant of the communist cell group that operated openly at time life. He also bitterly opposed those individuals who could possibly fight the communist subversion in the United States. Quote, in the late 50s, Henry Luce switched from the world government to oppose communism, line to the peaceful coexistence and world government with communism line, and life went back to glorifying the Soviet Union as it had done during World War II. In 1966, Luce took a group of 43 U.S. businessmen behind the Iron Curtain to promote aid and trade with the enemy, unquote. Another organization that Luce was affiliated with was Atlantic Union. This group believed that regional government is a necessary way station on the road to total world government, unquote. One author explains, quote, the idea of Atlantic Union had its origin in the fertile brain of an Englishman named Cecil Rhodes, whose dream was to see the United States re-annexed the British Empire. To this end, he established the Rhodes Foundation, providing for the education in England of bright young Americans. In 1939, a Rhodes scholar named Clarence Street wrote a book called Union Now, which advocated a gradual approach to final world union to, by way of regional unions, starting with the union between the United States and Britain. Committees were set up all over America, and Mr. Strait 
reported that over 2 million Americans had signed positions asking for petitions asking for union with Britain. In Strayett's own words, Atlantic Union, now expanded to include Western Europe, was the first step toward total world government. It, Union Now, BA, proclaimed the need of world government and insisted that no country needed more urgently than the United States. Strayed, who has been a close associate of communists and socialists all his adult life, has no hostility towards collectivism. He said in Union Now, democracy not only allows mankind to choose freely between capitalism and collectivism, but it includes Marxist government. Unquote. In his pamphlets, Strayed asked the question, does the rise of socialism in Western European democracies prevent our federating with them? He answers with an emphatic no. Of course, the communists themselves had a similar plan when they specified in their 1936 Communist International, their three-stage plan for world government. One, socialize the economies of all nations. Two, bring about federal unions of various groupings of these socialized nations. Three, amalgamate regional unions into a world union of socialist states. Then in 1949, the Atlantic Union Committee was set up and headed by former Supreme Court Justice Owen J. Roberts. Roberts stated that in joining the Atlantic Union, the U.S. government would have to surrender its rights and powers to coin money, to levy taxes and tariffs, to regulate immigration, to enact citizenship laws, to declare war, and to maintain standing armies. Almost 50 years ago, the Los Angeles Examiner proclaimed what effect the Atlantic Union would have on America. Quote, they, the nations of Western Europe, would impose their socialism to place in place of our Republican self-government, extract taxes from us as they pleased, craft our men for their armies and our women for their factories, appropriate the bulk of our productive wealth for their own enrichment. An Atlantic Union resolution, which would, in effect, repeal the Declaration of Independence, was first introduced in Congress in 1949. It has been reintroduced every year since, but until recently never received much attention, despite its endorsement by such Rockefeller, CFR, stalwarts as Richard Nixon, Hubert Humphrey, George McGovern, Dwight Eisenhower, Aldi Stevenson, John Foster Dulles, Jacob Javits, William Fulbright, Eugene MacArthur, and Henry Kissinger. Kissinger. In 1960, over half of the members of the Atlantic Committee were also members of the CFR. And right there, I believe I'm going to end it. Honestly, I'm, I'm kind of confused because I am like really deep into the book, it seems like, so far. And I've only seen one chapter, which is chapter one. So I'm not sure with this online uh, free version that they did not put in the chapters, you know, the separation. I'm honestly, I'm not sure on that. But wow, wow, wow is all I could say on this book thus far. I will continue in part three next time around. 
Um, as always, I want you guys to take this to the Lord in prayer. Um, seek his face. Ask him to give you the discernment that you need. And also to give you the wisdom that you, un you, you need to have in order to begin to do this study yourself. Study these things out. Right now, we have been pretty blessed to have basically the world at our fingertips through this internet. And you're able to Google things. You're able to search things out. But I will forewarn you right now, there's a lot of things. And, you know, I I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not. The more the Lord is opening up, the more that I see the truth. But the Jesuits, and I will say it, the Jesuits have been changing history on us. Not the Zionist people. It's the Jesuits. They are the ones that want to control this world. They truly do. And they have been doing it since the very beginning as I have been reading the history of the Jesuits. Um, so I want you to go to the Lord in prayer, ask him to give you the discernment that is needed and also to give you the wisdom to be able to research these out and to lead you by his precious Holy Spirit. And he will point you in the right direction without a doubt. I know that. I, I have no doubt. I know it because he said that we can ask anything in the name of Jesus Christ according to his will and he will do it. It is his will for none to perish but for all to come to everlasting life and he does not want us to be deceived. How many times did Jesus say be not deceived, be not deceived, be not deceived. I love you all brothers and sisters so very very much and until next time keep your eyes on Jesus your nose in the book which is the Word of God, and embed the Word of God upon the tablets of your hearts, so you will not sin against God. Be blessed, brothers and sisters. Be blessed.